The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 288 for Monday, September 27th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where we take your questions, your tips, and answer them, share them, add whatever we can, and try and add all sorts of uh, Mac goodness to your life. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. John F. Ron here in Fairfield, Connecticut. And I uh, want to say hi to Tom. One of our listeners was uh, in the area. So we, we had lunch at Super Duper Weenie. I think that's all that needs to be said on the topic. I think yeah, we just the, let it, let it kind They of have start. dogs and, uh, and they're good dogs. So um, <laughs> anyways, hi, Tom. Uh, see you to stop by hey if anybody's ever in fairfield stop by we'll get a dog sounds good uh so yes while we normally answer questions today is one of those rare shows it's i guess they're not that rare we tend to do them about once a month cool stuff found on deck today folks so we have a laundry list of all kinds of things stuff that you've found stuff that we've found and stuff that you're just going to find you can't live without so wow that's a good slogan we're going to keep that uh we might as well dive right in, right? Let's see what uh, see what happens here, John. I think so. I, I, I you know, I, I just love the sense of community where we get all these. Um, you know, I'm not going to say we should have group hug here, but no, it is awesome that you know uh, that I'm I'm surprised by a lot of these things, and I'm like, oh wow, that's a great idea, yeah. I, and, and I had not heard of it because there's a yeah huge you know Mac uh, software community out there that's uh, putting out all this cool stuff. So yeah, dive right in. All right, David wrote in no particular order. David writes. Uh, I have this in uh, he, he writes about that. Uh, here's a useful widget for anyone looking to buy from the Apple refurb store. And it's a widget called refurb me. Uh, it's at refurb dot me. And the widget uh, is installed. He says, I have it installed and re recently purchased an Apple TV and a time capsule from the refurb store. Of course, the old version of the Apple TV at a discount price. The widget will report via growl if you use that. So it all works seamlessly. Apart from the widget, their website does RSS and other notifications. So it makes watching the refurb store much easier. And it totally is a cool service that they provide. Um, the refurb store, even aside from this widget, the refurb store is always the first place I check anytime I need to buy a Mac. You do need to be careful that you know what model you're buying because uh, it may look similar to the brand new models. And sometimes it is a refurb of the brand or the existing model, but sometimes the new stuff will actually be a newer, different model uh, than what you can get from the refurb store. So just make sure you compare specs and if possible model numbers to make sure you're getting what you think you're getting. But all that aside, refurb store is great. You get, you know, somewhere between seven and about 18 percent off, depending on what it is. And it get the same warranty, everything that you would get with a brand new Apple product. So totally worthwhile to do it. Totally. Worthwhile. Yep. And I'm pretty sure that even if you are under an existing uh, either employee purchase program or educational discount. Yep. I think you still get that discount applied if you go to the refurb store. Or at least when I when I last oh, tried it, that cool. did happen. And well, I, I no wonder though. So, so nice thing about refurbs is is they're almost always typically uh, eligible for Apple Care as if it was That's a right. new product. That's right. And I know Apple Care through at least the employee purchase program, you you can't get discounts on. So I'm going to assume right that the the other discount programs will will tie into that. But yeah, I know a lot of people, especially like Mac Minis, seem to appear and disappear at at a. Very quickly. So yeah. having something like this is cool. And unfortunately, now we discussed this before, Dave, but I was hoping that Apple would have offered this. And, you know, if you go to www.apple.com slash RSS, it'll show you all of the feeds. And I suppose they could make this a feed, but they, they don't. Hmm. But a lot of other Apple news is available at, at that site. And then, you know, your, your favorite RSS reader. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, let's go. Let's do Paul here, John. And let's see what uh, let's see what Paul brings to the table. Hey, John and Dave. This is Paul calling from Los Angeles. I just wanted to throw a tip uh, your way and to all the listeners, something I've been using for a while. And I think I'm going to have to retire this trick I've been doing. And you'll know why in a minute. <laughs> I've used it a few too many times. And I think people are catching on to me. But I thought I'd pass it on and, and hopefully uh, some of the listeners might be able to benefit from this. There is a screensaver on the Macintosh uh, that's obviously a third-party screensaver. It's called KP Saver. K 
KP Saver is a screensaver that actually emulates a kernel panic on your Macintosh. Um, I think originally designed to slip onto someone's Macintosh unknowingly, and then when their screensaver kicks in, it looks like a full kernel panic. The screen freezes, it, it, it shades out gray, and you get that multi-language, uh, very scary uh, message in the middle of the screen. Of course, this being a screensaver, nothing really has gone by. You just move your mouse and it uh, comes back to normal. Uh, but rather than use it as a prank, I figured out a pretty cool way to use it. I am an uh, audio editor and um, quite often I will be fi find myself with the client hanging over my shoulder um, and I sometimes just really need that client to go away. Um, what I've done is, uh, of course, on my production machine, I don't have any screensaver automatically kick in. Um, I just always have it on. I'm always in front of it. And uh, what I've done is I've set up my screensaver to be KP saver. And I've made it so that it does never, never turns on automatically. But I've made one of my hot corners, namely my upper right-hand corner, to automatically turn that screensaver on. So if I am in a moment where I just really need that client to leave, per, uh, perhaps uh, uh, people are getting a little bit too heated, things are getting uh, where you just want to clear the room for five minutes, what I'll do is I'll slip my mouse up into that right-hand corner and boom, kernel. it seems like a kernel panic comes on my machine. Uh, I throw my hands in the air, I do a little bit of a dramatic, oh guys, you know what, uh, I got a little problem here, I just got to reboot, why don't we all step out for some air? The room clears out, I shake my mouse, screen comes back, I take a breather and uh, let everybody in five minutes later and say, oh, well, luckily we didn't lose much material and, and uh, hopefully that won't happen again. It's not the kind of thing you can use a lot, certainly not the kind of thing you can use with the same client uh, or more than once a day, but having it is, uh, is a cool little trick and uh, give it a try. You can search for a KP Saver, uh, just Google KP Saver, all one word and I'm sure you'll find it. All right, love the show. Thanks a lot, and don't get caught. Yeah, don't get caught using KP Saver. That's an interesting use hmm. of something like that, Paul. I, I can totally, you know, having been in the recording studio, I know the moment he's talking about where everybody's opinions have, have gotten to the point where nobody's listening anymore, and uh, and you just need to chill out. Like you said, you got to get some air and clear it out. I don't and, know. I, uh, I, it's interesting. Uh, I like it. Ethically, I have an issue with this. Well, also because, I mean, it's kind of damaging the uh, reputation on the Mac. Is that, you know, everybody's going to think that this thing kernel panics on a whim. Well, when you've got I don't firmware, know, I don't know if I'm firmware with audio that. devices plugged in, that's not necessarily oh. all that far from the truth. Uh, that's, okay. You know, and certainly not at the frequency he's talking about uh, emulating here. But, uh, but yeah, yeah I've, I've I mean, how about just saying, you know, guys, let's take, a, take five. Well, he may not be in the position to say that. Ah, if but he, the te if the technology fails, correct. then I see. Blame the technology. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Because if he's <laughs> if he's the hired gun, but he even though he knows the right move to make is to clear the room, he might not be the one who uh, who is in charge of that. And yet, as it turns out, he is. Just remind me uh, if Paul's around, John. Don't let him touch my Mac. Uh, the first sponsor for this show is AudioEngineUSA.com. They sell all kinds. They make and sell all kinds of things. The Audio Engine A2s are the speakers we're going to talk about today. These are what Audio Engine calls desktop speakers, and I would agree. They are two separate enclosures. Each enclosure has two speakers in it, a little tweeter and a woofer um, or a low-end speaker. These are built to sit on your desk. They're not overly huge. They're maybe uh, six inches tall and don't, aren't, aren't, too, aren't so deep that they would cause any trouble on your desk. They look really nice sitting next to an iMac or really any Mac. They've got a fantastic sound. There's a little bass slit, I'll call, in the bottom of these. You can see it when you visit AudioEngineUSA.com. Somehow they've engineered these things to sound much bigger than they are. They have engineered them for the reproduction of MP3s specifically. They sound good with anything, but MP3s have some interesting audio characteristics and they've engineered these speakers to account for and enhance uh, the MP3 to make it sound a little more realistic than you might get if, uh, if you're catching some of that compression in the MP3. 
two speakers. They are self-powered. One of them has an amplifier that plugs into the wall and, of course, into your Mac. And then that also then plugs into the other speaker. These speakers are $199 at AudioEngineUSA.com. But if you use the coupon code MGG10, M-G-G-T-E-N, you can get 10% off, which takes, make, takes them down to about 180 bucks. They do offer a money-back guarantee that they call their free audition where you get them for 30 days. If you don't like it, send them back. They'll send you your money back. Again, it's AudioEngineUSA.com. Definitely check them out. I've got a pair of these in my house. I love them. We use them all the time. Uh, they are the main speakers we listen to in the house, which is kind of surprising given, given how picky I am about audio, uh, that these have sort of, you know, I set them up to test them, and that's that. They've never come down. So that's, uh, that's kind of how it goes. AudioEngineUSA.com. All right. Uh, I've got one, John. I've got a cool thing found. It's an, it's an app called, it's a, an iPad app. I guess it would work on your iPhone too, uh, called air display. Now the concept is this, let's say you are someone who uses a laptop regularly and maybe you've got a monitor at your, a separate monitor at your desk so that you can extend your desktop and have more screen real estate when you're there. But when you travel, of course, you're typically not going to bring that monitor with you, but you might have your iPad with you. And if you've got a stand for your iPad, then air display is the only thing you need. It's 10 bucks at the app store. You then also download an app for your Mac that you install. And yep, it turns your iPad into an extended desktop. Now it's a very expensive exp extended desktop, of course, but if you've already got it with you there, it's really handy. And I've used it before they, it, they connect via Wi-Fi, So they've just got to both be on the same Wi-Fi network. And then you can drag, you know, your, I, I typically drag like my, my Skype window over to it, you know, it's stuff just to get it out of the way so that I can have it up, but, uh, it's not eating into my Mac's desktop. So very, very cool. You can use it in portrait or landscape mode. It auto rotates and kind of resizes itself either way. Very cool thing works very well for me. It does support the iPhone as well. So you certainly could use the iPhone this way. Uh, you know, obviously very limited real estate there, but. I'm sure there's some creative use. Uh, the app for the Mac is free, right? So it's just $9.99 and, um, and you put the app on your, you know, $9.99 gets you the app for all your devices, right? Because you can, you can move it back and forth. So that's, uh, I used it when I went to Princeton back in August and I tried it out in the hotel room uh, and it worked great. I, I intend on using it on probably many, many future trips. Have you, have you messed with anything like this, John, or? No, no. Okay. All right. You, you got one coming up, right, John? Absolutely. So uh, one recurring theme we get every, uh, every now and then, and I've, I've actually wrestled with this sometimes and uh, is sleep issues. Yep. And as most of you know, uh, there is an energy saver component where you can tell the back, okay, after a certain amount of a a inactivity, please go to sleep. Of course, sleep, you know, preserves contents and memory and all that great stuff, but it's a low power mode and it's what you may want to do. Uh, rather than running the thing full bore. I don't know. I do, personally. You know, when I'm not using the thing, I, I close the lid and it's uh, it's sleeping. But sometimes, for whatever reason, and, you know, we tried to dig into it. Apple offers some advice, but it's not always clear sometimes if your machine's not sleeping, why it's not sleeping. Sometimes you can look in the console, but sometimes it's just kind of a mystery. And you and I, Dave, have, you know, tossed around these things and tried to offer guidance. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, a mouse, you know, Bluetooth, I guess is a big suspect and stuff like that, but sometimes you just don't know. Right. Well, I found something called please sleep. So I think, you know, it doesn't just ask nicely, but what it does is it gives you more fine grained control over when the machine's going to attempt to sleep okay. and it has a couple of sections that are important. So one, it'll say, all right, try to force sleep. Well, either all the time or only if you see these certain applications running. So, so this is already getting a bit more sophisticated than it is now, because the way it is now, all you can set is a time period. You, you have no over control over what applications could cause this. Um, other programs, I'm sure, offer that too, but the, this is really focused on sleep. So it has one tab where you can set that priority, and then it also has exceptions where you say, okay, absolutely do not try to go to sleep when these things are happening. So, so it serves two purposes. And That's I think it's something cool. worth looking at. Now, I haven't had sleep problems lately, but when I do, I'm going to try this. It's, uh, I guess, donationware. It's free. You know, I, I, I certainly don't think it could, uh, you know, hurt 
to try it. I mean, I don't see any downside, you know, other than, you know, if you're running a big job or something that your machine goes to sleep. Right. So, but, uh, but, but this is something to add to your toolkit to solve those nasty sleep problems. Cause sometimes, as I mentioned, it, you, uh, there are so many options that you may not want to spend the time trying to track it down and just use this to kind of nudge the system in the right direction. So, so it, I, and I have not checked this out. So you can, I can tell it never sleep when these certain applications are open, but when, when another set of apps is open, then definitely sleep no matter what after expert yes, time. That's correct. Wow. So this is something that would be useful even if you weren't necessarily having problems, but like you said, you wanted more fine grained control over, over the ability to sleep. Yes. Ah, that's what I'm saying. Well, what, you said it and I said it. So yeah, right. So it's been said, that's it. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, let's see what Alan has to say here. Uh, Alan says in podcast 278, you mentioned second bar as a way to have menu bars on a second monitor. Here's another option that works really well and is also a boon to folks with large monitors. It's called menu everywhere and it's at binarybakery.com. Of course, we will link to that in the show notes. You can check out, they've got a screencast there, uh, John, but you can also check it out. They've got some screenshots. What it does is it allows you a couple of different ways of having your menu bar float around the screen with you. Uh, one of the options is it puts the menu bar in the top of the like in the title bar of the app. Right. So you have the, the red, yellow, green buttons uh, to minimize the window. And then next to that, you've got your menu bar replicated. Uh, you can also have just a little widget there that says menu and then your menu bar sort of falls out of that. Uh, there's a couple of different ways that they do it. They've got one where it sort of floats just above your application window. But the cool thing is, like he said, either with multiple monitors or even with one very large monitor, uh, it, it doesn't just force you to go all the way to the very top of the screen or one of the screens to uh, to do this. So pretty cool. I don't, know. I don't know if you've checked. I haven't, I haven't installed this one, but uh, no, I saw the screenshots. I mean, just, just, just putting it and yeah, I saw the one that you mentioned, you know, putting the menu bar in the current window. Yeah. Seems like a pretty clever approach and uh, hopefully it doesn't break anything. Well, that's, that's kind of the hope, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you know, my guess is that there's something that's going to break by this. I, and, and by break, of course, we mean it's just going to malfunction slightly. But uh, but it is doing something that's not expected by any application. So uh, invariably, there's something that's going to kind of, you know, it's, it's bound. It's bound to screw something up, but maybe worthwhile. Uh, all right. Uh, connection failure is the name of this listener or at least the moniker by which he or she goes Hi, Dave, John, and Pete, who's not with us today. I, I just popped over to AFP548.com to see what I could see, and there was a link to this drive testing utility called DiskFire. The price is right at $0. He gives us the link to DiskFire, and uh, and he says he hasn't looked at it yet, but it looks useful. Have you checked out DiskFire here, John? This is, an, this is another Absolutely. one. Okay. Yes, I have. And uh, the, the nice thing, uh, what I like about this, and I think it actually offers more options than I've seen on other... Uh, utilities. The the one that I like the most is uh, the the one with Drive Genius because what it does it uses a lot of different block sizes. So that's one important part. Okay. But what this does is it lets you set both a file size ranging from 0.1 to 16 gigs, a block size, which a lot of these utilities do. So that that can range from 32 to 512k, and then the number of threads. Oh. So what it's doing there versus because uh, I think a lot of the other utilities are typically just reading or writing a single file. So I think what this does that's unique and may duplicate real world conditions is that uh, I would think that when it says thread, so it's it's reading or writing multiple files, which I think, again, could could more closely simulate the real world. Right. Especially, yeah, if you're running multiple apps, I mean, obviously, you're going to be reading and writing uh, multiple files uh, concurrently. So. Right. Uh, yeah, and I looked at it, and the numbers it gave me were uh, in the same ballpark that I've seen with things like Drive Genius. You know, we show okay. a maximum around 70 to 80 megabytes per second, which is about what I've seen on my drive uh, at the, the high end. Okay, so it, it, without being overly uh, detailed in your testing, you could you could still say that it, it seems relatively accurate, as at least as compared to, to Drive Genius. Yes. Cool. 
That's great. And yeah, he's right. The price is right. It, if, if all you want to do is test to drive, we got to start using this more often to see how, how reliable it is across the board. But, but I mean, it certainly sounds like it's worth, uh, worth checking out. Cool. Uh, let's see if there's anything else in here. I don't think so. No, he's got some other notes, but, uh, but we'll move on and, uh, let's move on to John, shall we? And see what, not you, John, of course, but listener, John, or one of, well, you know what I mean. Hey, John, Dave, Pilot Pete, this is John from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. I just finished listening to Mac Deep Gap number 280 on my drive home from work, and I just wanted to let you know, great show, and uh, you set a new record for my recall calls. You see, I use the service recall, R-E-Q-A-L, to leave myself little notes when I'm listening to podcasts in the car, and if I hear something great that I want to remember, um, I have it on speed dial, and I leave the note, and then it ends up in my email at home, and today there were five, five of them. Normally, I'm running two to three for every Mac Geek app, but 280 had five great ones for me. Just want to let you know, I love the show. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, so it's important to note it is R-E-Q-A-L-L because R-E-Q-A-L will get you to weight loss in four minutes a day or something like that. And maybe you're into that, but that's not kind of the focus of this show. There is an iPhone. It looks like there's an iPhone app uh, for this. And there's also an Android app for this. So, uh, but yeah, it looks pretty cool. I got to start using this, John. I got to, I got to check this out. Have you, have you messed with recall at all? No. No. All right. Well, then I guess we don't have anything to say about that. Uh, all right. Let's talk about, uh, let's go to, let's go to Ray. Shall we? There's gotta be something good here. Let's see. Which Ray are we doing? All right. Ray writes, while setting up my new MacBook Pro, I decided to change my workflow for processing pictures. Previously, I downloaded them into Aperture and generally forgot about them until someone pestered me. The family didn't approve of this workflow and it wasn't scalable. I was import I was importing the originals into the Aperture library. I decided that now I'll download pictures to our home NAS first so everyone has access to the pictures and then import into Aperture, but leave the pictures in place. Aperture will save previews that I can see when I'm not at home. The only problem with this workflow is the names of the files. I like to use date-time as the name for each picture, so I need a way to bulk rename with exif info. A little Google foo turned up, something called exif renamer, which does exactly what I want with an extremely simple interface. You just drag the pictures onto the app's icon. It's shareware, and I'll definitely be making a contribution. Uh, and just for reference, he said he's downloading to his home NAS. For those of you that don't know what a NAS is, that's simply a gen- generic term for network attached storage, which could be a time capsule, could be, uh, I guess technically it could be a drive hanging off of another Mac, but typically NAS are, are, are when we refer to NAS, we mean something standalone, but the time capsule or something, you know, like from LaCie or Max Tour in Buffalo, they've all got their kind of network attached storage devices. But uh, but this is a pretty cool thing. Have you checked out? Well, you know, your well even more important. Well, even more importantly, Dave, yeah. what the heck is EXIF? Ah, yeah. And I'm going to tell you what the heck that is. It's uh, it, it stands for. So it's EXIF exchangeable image file format. Okay. What it really is, is information that's embedded in a photograph that you don't. That's not image data, but it's facts and figures and all sorts of things. Most of the time, cameras will will insert this data, and it can insert, you know, the model of the camera, the time and data was taken, the shutter speed, the aperture, maybe the location, which things like the uh, the iFi will do, or if you have a GPS attachment. So there's all this data that's available, but you know, as as I think was observed, sometimes the way the camera names the file. It's pretty lame and that it's usually like a sequential number, some yeah. letters, and, and that's it. It, it. it tells you nothing. Right. So being able to manipulate that data and, you know, through iPhoto or preview, you can you can see this data. So, so I think it's a very clever way to get around the limitations that a lot of things have about uh, about naming the files. So just to fill that out. So, yeah, if, if you haven't seen this, check it out. You may be surprised at what your camera is storing about the pictures for better or worse. And actually, you may be surprised sometimes you may not want the location embedded. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's true. gotten some people in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to remember. And I, you know, off the top of my head, I, I assume you can turn this off, but on the iPhone, 
uh, there is uh, the, every picture you take is uh, has GPS GPS info embedded into it. And uh, and I'm looking potentially, I think. Well, I think you have to turn off location services. I, I guess that's right. I guess you've got to go into location and tell it not to let. Well, see, I, I'm looking at the settings here. I, I'm not convinced there's a way to turn this off on the uh, I think you could turn off location services as a whole and that might do it. But uh, well, that's what I'm suggesting. I think in the uh, general and it's buried in there somewhere. I mean, I, I don't have the iPhone, but I, I know how to do it. I know the devices. It was funny, actually, one time because um, Pilot Pete, I think he posted a photo at one point and I actually looked at it and it gave me not only the latitude and longitude. Of course, I know where Pilot Pete lives, but I will never tell anyone. That's right. But it also had his altitude. Because the GPS in the phone measures your altitude. So I thought that was kind of cool. I'm like, oh, Pete, you were at a, you know, oh. <laughs> five feet above sea level recently. He's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's interesting. Oh, very interesting. So, yeah, it, I'm, I'm looking online a little bit here. And the general consensus is you have to turn off location services uh, across the board. Although... Uh, someone says, so if you turn off location services across the board, you can do that. Uh, however, someone else says, if you go into general, uh, recent, and we'll link to this article, John, I'll, I'll send you the link of what I found here. But, uh, if you go into general and then at the bottom of general is the reset button. And if you go down and you say, say reset location warnings, and then, uh, go into the, uh, the camera and go to take a picture. And what it's going to say is camera would like to use your current location. And at that point you can click don't allow. And it will now remember that setting for the camera going forward until you uh, reset those warnings. And, and, uh, and I guess at that point camera should appear. Oh, wait a minute. And now there's yet another way to do it is apparently this is a, this is one of those things where there's all sorts of different ways of doing it. But yeah, okay. So now if you go, if you have iOS 4, go into general location services and you have an option for the camera now and you can turn it off there. So that that would actually be, in theory, that would be the best way to do it. Oh, nice. Because yeah. I know um, most apps, yeah, I think it's a pretty strict guideline that the, the Apple yeah. sets saying if somebody wants to use your location. But I believe also in iOS 4 now is that you will see a little kind of compass needle on the top of the screen if location services are on. That's right. I believe that's true for both the iPod Touch or as some people like or some people hate the iTouch. I don't know if you shake your fist at that. I don't I, care whatever you call it. I, know I don't either. It doesn't, you know. <laughs> that, that's my standpoint is I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I think also on the iPhone is you'll see that yep. little compass needle when, when it's enabled. So when it, uh, Well, just, when it's active, not just oh, when it's enabled. Oh. When it when when an app is actively tracking your location, that's when that appears. Yeah. So, but uh, right. yeah. So there you go. Uh, all right. Our second sponsor for this show. Oh, what did I do? I uh, I I did away with the with the link, but that's okay because I know this sponsor. It's CircusPonies.com. Circus Ponies are the makers of Notebook. Notebook's an application that you use on your Mac to keep data about specific subjects together. It might be unrelated data, at least in terms of its media type. You might have some text that you want to keep. You might have some PDFs. You might have some images. You might even have some sounds. We had one listener that would take the audio file, either probably the MP3 from Mac Geekab, maybe the, even the AAC, put it into a notebook. And then from there, it looks like a notebook interface. It's a white line notebook, but you can take an audio file and just throw it right in. And he would create a new notebook for each Mac Geek app. In fact, he's probably creating one about what I'm talking about now, which is sort of interesting. Uh, and then uh, he'd go through as, as he was listening to the show and pull in links from the show notes of things that he wanted to remember for the future or anything that we said that he wanted to remember. And he'd write all that or type all that down pull in maybe some images. And then at the end, he'd have this whole thing that was his customized notes. Very, very cool. Uh, you can do this for, if you're 
you know, scheduling something. Maybe you're doing a big Halloween party and you want to pull together all your stuff and some images for costume ideas and, uh, and maybe some audio for some music that you might want to, uh, to, to think about having at, at the party and then, you know, pull some PDFs of recipes in and then you can organize the whole thing and then you can search within it based on criteria that you remember, what day you put it in, a keyword, a piece of text, whatever it was. Uh, all this in Circus Pony's notebook. Of course, there is a 30-day free trial. So go ahead and check it out, download it, and then uh, and then when you're ready to make your purchase, it's $49.95 for you. If you are a student or otherwise involved academically, $29.95, so you can save 20 bucks. It's all available at circusponies.com. And with that, John, I think it's time to move on to Greg, unless you have anything that you want to No, I like first. what Greg found. All right, Greg, we have a couple of Gregs in here. Okay, so Greg found something, and all he sent us was a link of something called At Monitor, A-T-M-O-N-I-T-O-R, from AtPurpose.com. This is another monitoring tool for Mac OS X. Did you play with this, John? Uh, I looked at the, um, I'm playing as we speak. Okay. So, keep <laughs> right. talking, but I, I, I looked at, I already saw some features that this has, which, which I have not seen elsewhere. So it, it looks, uh, yep. Unique. So this is similar to activity monitor, which of course is built in or menu meters, which is free or iStat menus or iStat pro. This tracks the usage of various different components of your system and also the performance of them. So, uh, it's got something called mini top, which shows you the three most CPU hungry applications. Uh, it does then show you the usage of your CPUs. And of course it supports multiple cores. So you can see if different cores are being used, used evenly, or if one has a runaway process sitting on it, of course it shows Ram usage. It shows your GPU, your graphic processor usage. And I've never seen anything that reports this. Uh, it's got temperature sensors, it's got a frame per second monitor, uh, yeah, monitor, where it uh, keeps tabs on the refresh rate of your screen. It tracks the usage of your video RAM. And then, of course, it also has disk and network monitors. But the graphic stuff is really where this one, to me, John, sets itself apart with the monitoring the GPU and also the frames per second. I've never seen anything do that. Well, that, that was my note as well, is that... Uh and the only thing I found was maybe, you know, ATI had a utility and this is on my G5 that will let you see some stats about it. But typically the vendors don't offer their tools for the Mac, you know, even though, for example, in the MacBook Pros and I think all the Macs now are all NVIDIA, right? Or, right. or the Intel sometimes. But, right, um, right. But yeah, you can't get any stats on that. You know, and it's interesting because I, I just want to bring this up and see if you ever heard this. So uh, 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 my buddy Josh just bought a new machine and it was funny because he, he got a refurb iMac. And he was debating whether to get 256 or 512 of VRAM. And it's funny because somebody at Apple suggested, and this kind of sounded weird to me. They said, oh, well, if you want to play HD video, then you definitely want to get 512 megabytes of VRAM instead of 256. And I'm like, what? Really? Okay, that's what I thought, too. Because, I mean, the amount of data in an HD data stream versus a standard def, I mean, it, it's, you know, a few megabytes or several megabytes. If you look at the raw data, and either size VRAM would easily. So, so I, I, yeah, I thought that was a weird claim that someone at Apple made. I okay. Think just want to I check with you. You're wrong. I, I could be wrong, I, of course, but I, I think the VRAM is more for when things are rendering shapes or surfaces or whatever. That's right. when you want to have more VRAM, but right. to simply play back a, you know, a, a, a video movie. data stream. That's yeah, you're not, HD. you're not rendering the movie. <laughs> In, in real time, you're simply displaying the stream. It wouldn't take a significant amount of video RAM to do that. That's right. Right. Though certainly a utility like this could tell you if that's the case. That's I mean, true. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Instinctually, just it sounded like a weird claim. But but with something like this, I mean, it shows effective frames per second. And also, you know, I see yeah. a GPU meter. Right now it's showing zero on my MacBook. Because yeah. you're not using it. <laughs> yeah, but see, that would be cool using something like, uh, oh gosh, Grand Central, right? And and not Grand Central, but what is it? That, that thing that X-Grid? You, no, no, no. 
I can't think of it off the top of my head. The technology in Snow Leopard that leverages the GPU for math operations, right? No, I thought it was Grand Central. Uh, that could use CPUs or GPUs. Yeah, but I thought there was there was a name for it using. But yeah, whatever that that uh, would be cool to to be able to track that. And presumably, as more and more apps use that, hopefully things like menu meters, iStat menus, iStat Pro will all add that monitoring in as well. That'd be pretty cool. All right. Moving on to John. Is that right? Man, there's a we are we're blazing through this show here, but there's a ridiculous amount of information we're dumping off here. So this is uh, <laughs> this is fun. It's good. ridiculous. I like the fast pace. All right. John writes. Just thought I would chime in with another disk speed utility I use all the time that seems to give real world results. It's from a company called Asia, A-J-A. It's a utility made for their pro video capture cards, but it works without them and is free. You can find it at Asia.com. Of course, we'll uh, we'll show you. We'll, we'll send you a link in the show notes. It's called Kona 3. And uh, it is. Uh, yeah, it's yet more, more, uh, more performance testing so cool stuff have you messed with this one yet john no i okay. didn't look at that one all right so we've got uh we've got disc fire right and uh and then this kona disc speed utility which is even more good stuff uh moving on to jim john sure you're supposed to say jolly good right <laughs> <laughs> jolly good chap all right good uh let's see what jim says here Jim says, here's what I found to turn off the startup sound on my Mac. This is a one trick pony app that works perfectly called startup sound It's a prep pain that simply lets you turn off or turn down the startup sound. I'm an early riser and there's no more waking up the wife when I fire up the computer while she's still sleeping in the next room. I've been using it for a couple of years now and haven't gotten in trouble even once. So we will link to that. Pretty cool. Kind of follows up on a discussion we were having on the show about managing startup sounds. And I think we even mentioned the pref pain, but I always like to, and there's something that's single use and very handy like that. I like to re-include it in a cool stuff found show. So I, I, and I think we did mention that once before John, or at least I wrote it down during the show. That's, that's where that one came from. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good. Cause we, uh, we wrestled with, yeah, the Apple changed the behavior of the, the way the machine. Oh, and what you were talking about, Dave. Yes. Open CL. That's it. I knew it was. I knew there. I knew there was another name. Thank you. Yeah, Thank I was. You. I was busily searching because I knew exactly what you're talking about. But I guess the thing behind Open CL is that GPUs can do certain operations incredibly fast, even faster than the CPU. But Hundreds a lot of operating of systems, fast. sure, because they, you know, they're they're meant to do certain things like rendering and you know yeah. doing certain math. But most modern you know, operating systems only use it for graphics. They, they don't really even allow you to use it for math. So this, uh, yeah. And I don't know of any apps that, that actually do this. Yeah. That'd be, I, I would love to, to use one just for the sake of using it. Cause I, I don't play a lot of games. Although I guess when I play X plane, which, uh, you know, I still love and I can't mm -hmm. get enough of, and I'm really stoked about the new version of X plane. I'm going to take a little tangent here. The, the version 10 Austin posted a thing recently, uh, and the X-Plane forums about version 10, and it's going to do total real world rendering. Uh, so like when you go and, and it realistic world rendering, I should say, so that when you fly into a city, now things are 3d and it, it's built up. Everything is built up from the, you know, every blade of grass, right? So there's grass and then there's a parking lot on top of the grass. And then there's a building on top of the parking lot and, you know, up it goes. Everything is not going to be exactly as it would be in in a given city, but it's realistic so that you are flying and there's different things that are at different heights and you've got to deal with all this stuff. And it's uh, it, it's better than flying along and looking at some like 2D representation of the top of a Walmart is, is as he put it. And, and I totally get that. Mm -hmm. So um, and there's a there's a new weather model and it's going to put it's going to take advantage of multi cores which means uh, that they're going to put one plane on each core. Now, normally you'd say, why do I care? Well, air traffic, air traffic control in this one is going to be realistic. So instead of actually just hearing air traffic control and it just being, you know, some random stuff, 
they're actually going to be other planes responding to the air traffic control messages sent to the other planes. And so you're going to see those planes responding uh, and, and doing their thing, especially as you're coming in for, you know, landings or takeoffs and, and all that good stuff. So there's a lot of cool stuff planned for this. So I'm really excited about that, but that's cause I'm a, you know, mm-hmm. a frustrated pilot because I don't actually have a pilot's license and typically I'm not allowed to fly. That's, that's what we'll say about. What do you mean, typically? Well, you know, sometimes. Have you tried, you know, dressing up in a <laughs> no, know, I'm not. captain's uniform and just strolling on there? No, no. That you could do that back in the seventies when uh, what's his face was doing that, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But uh, oh, catch me if you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but no, no, they they don't uh, they don't let me do that. But I have flown, you know, taken little lessons and stuff before. But, uh, so. Uh, all right. Now we're, now we're totally off the rails. So back, uh, back. Here. Well, you know, go ahead. I'm going to go off. A little, uh, it was Say something it. I ranted about before, but I'm going to rant again because it has to do with airports. Uh-huh. Uh, have you seen the latest TSA poster? Um, no. Oh, well, what it shows is uh, a photographer. It, it says, if you see something, say something or something to that effect. Okay. But what does it show? It shows a, a gentleman staring, uh, standing next to a chain link fence. And he's wearing a hoodie and he has a DSLR and a very big lens and it shows an airplane. It sounds like you, John. It sounds like because we all know that, you know, if you're a potential terrorist, what you're going to do is be really obvious. Yes. And take lots of pictures of at sensitive locations. I mean, that that ha- and, and I'm sure that's precluded every major attack is that there were, you know, rampant reports of people taking lots of pictures before they it's like, no. It, it kind of offended me, and, and also, no, we, we yacked about it on the Mac Roundtable, and I think almost everybody on that panel was a photographer, either professional or amateur. Uh-huh. But it's a, it, the thing that gets me, I think, I think it's kind of irresponsible to paint a person that may want to take pictures of planes, which there are people, crazy enough, Dave, that like to do that. Yeah. As well as trains and cars and stuff like that, to, to somehow imply that the simple act of taking a photograph is a, a prelude to something bad happening. I, it just kind of bothers me. It's a, it's a gateway drug to terrorism. Well, you know, I mean, you, you could argue that every terrorist probably has at one point used a camera. That's right. So, they, yeah, man, maybe, maybe I'm just, yeah, easily offended. You're overreacting, John. <laughs> but, 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 you back know, on track. Something, well, uh, to get us back on track, do please do put a link in the show notes to the Mac Roundtable you were on because uh, people might want to listen to that. Yeah, not, not just for the the uh, airplane rant. I'm sure there was. Oh no, other we uh, stuff as well. Oh, like Apple TV and Good. Blu-ray and stuff like that. Hey, let's which, let's uh, talk about the Apple TV a little bit. We're we're on a we're on a little bit of a tangent here, and we were going to finish the show really early, but uh, we've got about five or six things left on our cool stuff found. But but let's take a minute, John, and talk about about the Apple TV here uh, briefly. You know, we'll, okay. we'll limit this to uh, five minutes, maybe even three. Right. So okay, are you getting one? I don't know. I don't, Uh, I don't know. And I know why you don't know. Yeah. It's a hundred bucks. Right. And, but the cool thing is of course that it's going to do, uh, it'll, it's, it's all about streaming, which to me is great. The the whole concept of having to manage, you know, yet another storage location was the, one of the things I didn't like about the Apple TV. The other thing I didn't like about it was that it's yet another device that I've got to hook up to my TV and, and home theater system. And my TiVo does a lot of that for me, right? That's what I was going to say is to me, I, uh, other than access to iTunes stuff, which you can already kind of do. Right. I I, uh, personally, TiVo having Netflix and, and I would argue TiVo is superior in that respect because it gives you more options for content that you can purchase or rent. Right. Because, well, I don't know if it's more options. You've got Amazon on the TiVo that you obviously you don't unbox. Well, right. Yeah. Amazon Unbox. Right. So you got that. You got Netflix. You got, well, Netflix Blockbuster, you have on the though, Apple TV, right? Exactly. Yes. So, uh, so that surprised me in that they're getting. Now, that was the thing that when we were talking about it surprised me because before the Apple TV was basically something to encourage you to use iTunes, in my opinion. It was an iTunes yeah. uh, synchronization vehicle. So it wasn't interested in giving you a rich experience as far as options. So I see this going one of two ways and, and okay. the clock is ticking on our, on our little diatribe here, but it's either going to be that 
Netflix's but the first of many options. And maybe it is running iOS under the hood, as as many have speculated. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that, you know, there will be other I'll call them apps and they might be more a more curated selection of apps than we're used to even on the iPhone or iPad. But, you know, there'll be maybe perhaps an unbox app or other things like that that let you get more content to your TV and just use the Apple TV as the gateway. That's one way. The other way is, yeah, you know, we needed something out of the gate to stream movies. And so we tapped into Netflix. And uh, and, but, you know, when when we've got stuff built up at the store and we've got that new data center in North Carolina, whatever it is, when when all that stuff's up and rolling in about a year and a half, two years, we're going to say goodbye to Netflix. Uh. You know, Apple is the kind of company that has done that many times before. I've always said Apple is never your friend and they aren't Netflix's friend either. But what they are is happy to walk alongside you as long as your path matches their path. But as soon as their path diverges, they have no qualms about just turning and walking away. There's not even a goodbye. Right. It's just like, okay, we're done. there. So, I, you know, it could go either way. And I'm curious to see how it goes. You know, I think I'm with you on that because if I if I were to get a streaming box, Dave, um, there is a Roku, which yep. I, I've talked to people that use them. I, I, I and you know I've looked at the product description, mm-hmm. but that is at a lower price point and seems to offer quite a few streaming options. So yeah. I think they're. I would almost say Apple is a bit late to the game here, and and yeah, what is their strategy? I agree with you. It's uh, are they going to offer that as a teaser because people say, oh Netflix, I got Netflix, so I'll get an Apple TV. Uh, and then they walk away and then I, people are like, oh, man, I'm yeah, stuck I, with this thing. I really do. I think it's to to make up for a shortcoming out of the gate is is what it is. But but Apple also is happy to rethink their plans. Uh, you know, the App Store is a perfect example of that. I, I, I firmly believe them when they say that the App Store was not a part of their iPhone uh, strategy out of the gate. And obviously they've now fully embraced it. So. All right, good. Moving back to cool stuff found, we'll go to Greg. And Greg says, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this because it's just mm-hmm. a bunch of words. Okay, he found something called <laughs> iPhoto Duplicates, uh, which is a duplicate remover. Uh, it will remove duplicates from iPhoto. Did you check this out? I know you're a uh, a picture guy, John. You know, I well, the, the thing is, I don't... So, I was looking at the site and trying to figure out why I would need this. And I suspect you may need this if you have been using earlier versions of iPhoto. Got it. So okay. my current platform is, is it iPhoto 9 are we on now? I, I forget exactly. But it's, yeah. the, it's the latest iPhoto that came with the latest iLife, which when are they? I hope they're going to upgrade that soon. All right, so I blew, I blew the name of this uh, in, in reading that. I'll call it an email. Uh, it's called Duplicate Annihilator from Bratu Propaganda Software. And of course, we'll... We'll put a link in the show notes. So it's, uh, it will. I mean, what I've seen, Dave, is that the current iPhoto, if you try to import a photo that already exists, and maybe this is where it differs, but as far as I know, if they see something similar, I would think the name and maybe the time and date, they'll say, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Ah, okay. So that's where this one does differ. So it definitely okay. will look at file name, dimensions, file size, EXIF data, which we, of course we talked about before, right? And, and, you know, mark those as duplicates and let you delete them. But it will also detect duplicates by doing a checksum on the photo data itself. Uh, So, yeah. So even if the, the, you know, uh, not all of the other criteria match, there is that checksum, which in theory is mostly unique. I mean, it's certainly possible you'd have two different pictures, but yeah. So doing a hash. So yeah, it's, it's virtually impossible that, um, you know, I had a situation, which I'll mention after this, where I had a picture of mine identified as a key locker. Nice. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Okay. <laughs> Unless uh, we don't have much more to say about this, but it, I, but it seems to be a more sophisticated way of detecting duplicate photos within iPhoto, or is it, it, is it anything? Uh, no, it's it's built to to be used with your iPhoto library. You can download a, a trial version, and it's 8 bucks US when, uh, when you want to get it. And they have an Aperture version as well. So you can, and I'll, I'll just to be thorough, uh, the aperture version is also only eight bucks. So you can, uh, and it does all the same things using CRCs or uh, checksums to find the duplicates. That's, that's actually a pretty cool idea. I like that. That's a uh, smart thinking yeah. on their part. So yeah, go ahead with your, uh, I'm going to tell you what happened to me. So, so you may have seen a little, uh, a little while ago, a Mac scan. I don't know if you've used yeah. this product. Yeah. Yet. Yeah, let's, that's actually another good one to talk about here. Go ahead. That's now, I've used it recently. 
Talk well, about I've what used, it is. Talk about what it is first and then talk. So about I've it. used it recently because we got it in our goodie bag at Macworld. Yep. Now I used it because uh, recently, I think I mentioned this, I had uh, one of my credit cards compromised. And so I was concerned, even though I'm on the Mac, yep. that I had a virus or a key logger or something like that. And basically, Mac scan is something, it, it's more to complement antivirus because it's not antivirus, but it'll detect other things like key loggers. Okay. And also cookies. It's big on detecting tracking cookies and stuff like that. But what, what kind of made me question the accuracy of it is so I, you know, got the latest version. I input the key. It updated the definitions and all that. And then when I ran it, it identified one of my photos. So, so no, it came up and said, whoa, you got a key logger. And I'm like, oh, and that's how they got my credit card. Mm. As it turns out, it wasn't the way they got my credit card. It, right. it was it was through social engineering on the customer service line. Got it. Is the eventual conclusion of the investigation. So, so MaxScan, uh, it identified one of my iPhoto photographs as a keylogger, and I'm like, "What?" All right, so thumbs up or thumbs down on on MaxScan here. You, you know how uh, I am. Uh, I'm very, I'm very too, cynical about antivirus and anti spyware well, software. Well, it's it, well, it's not antivirus. I know. So I know. But so the thing, it does make you more aware of tracking cookies. Okay. All right, so that I'll give it credit for, but. To me, I'll give it a thumbs down because it identified a photograph okay. as a keylogger. Huh. And it was a, a current keylogger, which is available for the Mac and the PC, I believe. And the thing is, I wrote them and I said, guys, what's up with this? And, and I sent them the photo and I never heard back from them. And I didn't you know, say I'm with Mac Observer. I just said, you know, I just registered the product. I, I may have said Mac Observer. I got it, you know, under server, uh, you know, credentials, well, you know, I'm being sure a speaker. They'll they'll hear about this podcast because we always notify people when their products are mentioned just in case there's anything they want to add or anything they want to inform us about. So in theory, we'll uh, we'll potentially yeah. hear back from the secure. So, I, you know, generated a support event and I said, uh, was this a false positive, which is what I would call this. And sure. I said, by the way, it's a picture I took. So I kind of doubt it's a keylogger. <laughs> <laughs> That's a safe bet. Because <laughs> uh, it scared me. I mean, I thought, oh, boy, you know, my machine's compromised. This is terrible. Yeah. So. So, yeah, again, we're, we'll, we'll, uh, I'd love for them to clear this up because I, I think it has the potential to complement antivirus. But, yeah, I'm wary, too, Dave. And the other thing is I, I went to this recent press event and I found another piece of software. It was a, a, a free antivirus that recently came out. OK, I'll try to get the specific name of it. And, you know, I was talking to the, the vendor and they're like, well, why haven't you installed it? I'm like, well, you know, I haven't had good luck uh, like you, Dave, with antivirus. And sure enough, you know, they gave it to me on a USB key and I think or, or I downloaded the latest version, tried to install it, tried to run it crash yep oh nice you know i mean antivirus has to get kind of intimate with the file system and and more often than not dave i think i've seen where it people just have trouble pulling it off yeah so i'll uh kind of the last word on this i i don't use antivirus software regularly uh i think i've run it on my mac once but like only like you to test a piece of software that somebody sent me, but I got it off as quickly as I got it back. I got it on there. I've, I've never had a problem with viruses since 19, you know, 90 on the Mac when disinfectant would disinfectant. Buy. Yeah. I mean, the only one I'll use is called clam AV. You may have seen this. It's an open source effort. There's an OS 10 version and that'll run maybe once in a blue moon. If I think not so much a virus, but if I have like a word document or, sure. And I think I had that happen once where I got a document through someone and, and it did have a macro virus embedded in it. All right. Now we've gone on too many tangents here. We got to get through these things here because there's good, good stuff to get to. Uh, the next thing is something called get back up from be light software. Uh, it is yet another piece of backup software, but this one's actually kind of cool. What struck me about it is it combines a bunch of different things that, that, uh, that someone might do. One is that it will backup. Now, it will let you do encrypted and compressed backups of your data. Of course, it has a scheduler built in. So all the things that you can do with it can be done on a schedule. It will create bootable backups or clones, kind of like a super duper carbon copy cloner uh, that you can boot from. And it's got a synchronized engine so you can have it keep files in sync between two computers that are on one network which is pretty darn cool. You can back up to CD or DVD uh, or really any hard drive that you've got mounted. Uh, it does have integration with iPhoto mail, iTunes address book to, uh, to back those up and restore them in a way that's very user friendly. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. Check it out at, uh, there is a free version 
and uh, and and it's at BeLightSoft.com, and then there's a pro version for forty bucks. The uh, the the pro version uh, has incremental backup. The pro version has encryption, um, and you can exclude or include files in a very specific way with the pro version. You can just get more granular both on the backup and on the restore with it. Uh, and the two way synchronization is also the limit to the pro version. But otherwise. Uh, you know, the free version is definitely worth checking out. So I, I encourage you to uh, to check it out. So there you go. That wasn't an ad, even though it kind of I sort of fell into, you know, sponsorship mode. They, they aren't a sponsor. So I, I should say that I should. I always make it clear when we when we're talking about a sponsor. But that one, as I finished up, John, I felt like, hey, wait a minute. That just sounded like an ad. So it wasn't. All right. So one comment I'm going to make very yes. quickly. Yes. I just loaded. So, so we were talking about the uh, tool to measure. um you know, the, the GP, uh, VRAM. Yeah, I yeah. just tried to load an HD movie on my MacBook Pro and the percentage of VRAM used went from 18 to 23%. Okay. So I think our, our suspicion was correct is that there is not a huge impact on VRAM. Now, Dave, I found no, wait, something and I did it. You're watching movies while we're trying to do the show here? What gives, dude? No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always watching movies during the show. I no, I just quickly loaded a HD trailer on my MacBook and I, and I saw the number go up, but it, 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 there's still plenty of available re, VRAM, at least according to this. So I found something today, Dave, and I wrote a Monday's Mac edge about it. And I'll tell you very quickly what it is. It's called stream watcher. And I think it, it fits a very unique uh, place. Uh, it complements the tools that are available, which don't quite give you the big picture about what's happening on your computer. So if you use a tool, uh, and this is all about bandwidth. So you may be using your Mac and, you know, you get great bandwidth. And sometimes, you, you know, things may be kind of sluggish, whether you're playing back music or movies or downloading stuff. And you just notice that, you know, things aren't as snappy as they should be. Well, how do you find out what's happening, Dave? How do you find out what's happening, John? Well, well, you could, for example, like, you know, we know that Activity Monitor will tell you. Right. Uh, a cumulative figure, you know, upload and download. On yeah. a network level. Okay, as, that's kind of useful. As well, menu meters and, and all those Or iStat things. menus, sure. which I use. But it, it's an aggregate figure. It tells you, you know, particular, you know for, for this interface usually, here's how much you're uploading and downloading. But you don't really get a sense of what's doing it. Now, you could use something like NetStat, and this is what I pointed out in my article. But NetStat is only really a, a snapshot. It doesn't, and it doesn't tell you throughputs. Here's what StreamWatcher does. It does both. So you tell it which interface to look at, and it will show you Every network connection, very similar. And I, I suspect it's, it's implementing uh, the NetStat calls. And sure. it'll tell you each network stream. It'll show you the source port and destination port. And it could be either on your local network or on the Internet itself. And then it shows you both the instantaneous upload and download speed and the cumulative upload and download speed. Now it's And you showing, can sort on those columns. It's showing you by Go. the destination or the, the other the name or IP address of the other computer you're talking to. It's not narrowing it down by application is that correct you can uh, that's correct okay. so you but but I, I would say you can deduce what application is doing it in in most cases sure. all right so, so it takes a little a little geekiness i think okay that's but if you look at the server yeah. yeah but if you're looking at the t at the, the the computer it's connected to i mean i saw it connect to iFi and you know uh, i'm sure you could see if you're downloading a movie so, so it can resolve the name of the, the server that you're connected to. Got it. Got what it. I'm saying is that, the, and then you can, of course, when you see the window, you can sort on upload speed or download speed and throughput. So this, this can, I, it is a way for you to identify, all right, what's hogging my bandwidth. And, the, and it also shows you a summary. So it's just a nice tool that combines what you can get from a couple of other tools, but they don't give you the big picture. Yeah. This gives you the big picture. And uh, I just thought it was kind of unique and uh, we'll link to the gadget. Yeah, it's a shareware and uh, 15 bucks when you want to register. From Eloquent Software. That's a beautiful name. It's Eloquent. <laughs> All right. Uh, the last thing that we will talk about today is a relatively new app from St. Clair Software, which are the makers of Default Folder, which I'm sure you've heard us talk about before. And if you haven't, go try it out. But uh, but this one, it's called App Tamer, John. And it, this is pretty cool. The idea is on your Mac, uh, of course, Mac OS 10, and of course we're at 10.6, but bears repeating that Mac OS 10 supports what we call multitasking, where you can have multiple apps active, loaded, and running simultaneously. But sometimes you don't really need an app running when it's in the background. Uh, there are many times, and an app like Safari is a prime example 
where unless you've got Safari like streaming video or audio to you in the background, chances are there's nothing else that you need it active for. And yet if you've got some web page loaded in a tab that's got some flash animation happening on it, it could be chewing up gobs and gobs of your CPU that you don't really need uh, or that you do need and you don't want uh, Safari having access to. So what you can do with App Tamer is you launch App Tamer and you can have it launch at startup and you can tell it, look, hey, when Safari and Safari is one of the ones that comes kind of pre-configured to do this, you can say, look, when Safari's in the background, uh, go ahead and, and shut it down after 15 seconds. Don't quit it, but freeze it and then unfreeze it when I go back to it. And it's cool. It 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 makes it it fades it into kind of a it, it darkens the app, the app windows so you know that they're not active. Uh, but all you got to do is click on it and it comes right back. Uh, and it it'll kind of keep track of what you've saved. So I've turned I've I've set it to Excel pages, Word, uh, numbers, you know, all those kind of productivity apps that I'm not using when they're in the background. I've set it to just shut them down and then it totally stops it from chewing up any CPU time uh, at all. And, you know, that also helps you, especially for laptop users. The more CPU time you use, the more battery time you use. So it can really help you there. I haven't had an opportunity to test it in that way, but uh, but it's pretty darn cool. And it tracks the usage, not only of CPU, but a memory of each app over a, a time period. So you can get a feel for, well, you know, is this app going to be a, an offender or not? But uh, really, really simple interface that does something very necessary, I think, you know, especially with apps like Safari and Word, where they can just kind of start crunching in the background for no apparent reason, but you don't necessarily want to quit them. Very, very cool stuff. I I, I like it. So uh, I think it's pretty cool. Have you checked it out yet, John? No, you know, it sounds similar to something, and I wonder if it's doing this at the uh, at some level. Uh, yeah. you, you may have used something called Renicer. No, it's it, okay. it's similar. It's or, or I assume it's doing something uh, so nice is yeah, it, something in Unix where you can tell a, a, a process, right? Here's your relative priority in the grand scheme of things. Right, right. And th- this sounds like it takes it beyond that, though, or at least makes it more accessible, because I think the, the thing that I saw, Renicer, is, is kind of old and also, yeah, kind of coarse. So it, it does have a priority slider for each app. So you can set certain apps to get priority over others. And, and so I, my guess is, John, it's using Renicer or sorry, it's using the nice functionality of Unix to accomplish that. I, I can't imagine there would be a good reason to, to kind of reinvent cool. that wheel. But that, but then, it like you said, it takes it one step further because it will completely freeze an app. So nice. If there's an app like Safari in the background, and you set it to a very low priority, well, it'll still get time on the CPU if that time is not requested by other apps. And this, with this thing, if you tell it to pause Safari, it's paused. Oh, it, nice. Even if even if there's time left on the <laughs> CPU, it doesn't give it to it, which is really handy. I, I or like, cool. Yeah. I'll say cool instead of nice, because I've had that happen yes. sometimes where I see the, the CPU meter going, yeah. and it's because I'm running something in Safari with a flash animation that... Yeah. It's just very active. And yep. it's like, dude, it's in the background. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that's what uh, John from, from St. Clairsoft did, right? It was the same. It was like, dude, what are you doing? And that's that sent him off to uh, to write this. So it's a, uh, let's see, it's a, there's a free trial, of course. You get to try it for 15 days, and then it's 15 bucks for uh, for a single user license from stclairsoft.com. Of course, links in the show notes as always. Now, John, we've talked about a lot of stuff here. Today. Oh man, these are, this is going to be a record breaking show notes. I think. <laughs> yeah. The good thing is started on them. is already built for you, right? Cause we've already got all these links back packed in here, but, uh, but we've had, some, we added some things. Well, you've got work to do for sure. There's a val- There's a value add there. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Contact information. So we had lots of people send things in. Uh, if you have something you want to send in for either a future Cool Stuff Found, a comment on this Cool Stuff Found, or a question about this or really about anything to do with the Mac, call us. 206-666-GEEK, which John is... 4335. But if you, if you don't want to get on the phone and you want to maybe email us, Dave? Yeah, email's good. Yeah, you could email us. And you know where I would send the email, Dave? I would send it to feedback at macgeekgab.com. You said feedback at macgeekgab.com. 
I most certainly did. Yeah. And uh, if you're a premium subscriber, of course, you can send to premium at MacGeekCab.com. So uh, it's... It doesn't have to be just email. You can include an audio clip. You can include screenshots, which for a lot of this stuff, we saw screenshots. Um, You know, if if that's easy for you, maybe even an animation, though, you know, be careful. You know, it's email. It's not meant for that. But hey, if if you needed to get the point across and show us what else, Dave? Oh, yeah. Skype. You can Skype. Becky Gab. That's right. Uh, so I'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators, former iPhone, iPhone Alley podcast, for converting this show to AAC for us and for you. I'd like to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. John and I are going to be at Blog World Expo in about three weeks. Uh, Observer VIP, I think, might still get you 20% off, but I'm not making any promises. But if you're coming out, let us know, and uh, and we'd love to meet you somewhere. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yo Jimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile, Notebook from Circus Ponies, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And John, that's it. Let's get out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We're back next week. Hmm? We're back Calm next down, week. Man. Just like normal. Why? You sure? Yeah, jump up and down. Everybody jump up and down. Jump, jump, jump. Go, go. (laughs) Did you have your caffeine today? No. Not yet, but I'm going to run right now. I'm going to run and get some caffeine, but hopefully I don't run so fast and get caught by. (laughs) Made up.